0: on a Farm episode 34. 34? I think this one is actually 35. That's a good start. That is a good start. Okay, let's do it again. Hi everyone and welcome to the Sweet Spot on a Farm podcast episode 35. Yes, it is 35. If you don't know what this podcast is about because you just randomly found it on iTunes and or whatever platform you're using, um, then this is a podcast about natural health. I interview natural health professionals, uh, fitness professionals, organic farmers, food producers, and just about anyone whose business and life's mission is to help us support our health. We cover topics like organic farming, herbalism, fitness training, natural therapies, and we also talk about food and share plant-based nutritious recipes that support and nourish our body. And before we dive into today's episode uh, and I introduce you to my next guest, I want to make you aware of a permaculture event happening next year. In May 2020, you will have the opportunity to learn from one of the most important figures of today's permaculture, Charles Dowding. Here in Ireland at No Dig Organic Gardening event at Azora Coop in Hillsborough in Northern Ireland, The whole weekend event runs from the 16th to the 17th of May, from 10 o'clock in the morning to 6 o'clock in the evening, both days. And tickets are on sale now on eventbrite.co.uk and only limited spaces are available. So if you're interested and are coming from afar, there is also a limited opportunity for camping and overnight stay at the Azora co premises. So visit azora.ie and get in touch with Warren to secure your space now. This is a really amazing opportunity to learn about no-dig simple gardening, so you can grow your own food and, and which, let's face it, is probably the best and most nutritious way of eating. And as we all know, what we put in our bodies is incredibly important to our overall health, as my today's guest can confirm. And, um, actually, talking about today's guest, today we're going to be talking about self-development to a self-development professional, a coach and a fitness trainer, and someone who can really teach us a thing or two about getting healthy. Today, I'm talking to Kaya Koma. Hi, Kaya, how are you?
1: Hello, this is exciting. It's. I think it's a bit of a weird thing just listening to my intro and I'm the personal development professional, even though... Um, or, or thinking about myself as a professional in that sphere is really interesting for me because, yes, my background is fitness and personal training. And for the past three and a half years, you know, that's the world that I was living in. But for a much longer period, I have been living in the personal development side of things. So it's really nice to to see those two worlds combined, but to also see how both the fitness side of things and the personal development side of things actually play a role in our health.
0: That's actually something um I wanted to talk about. So, first of all, I promise that we're gonna finish our chat. This time around I'd really like to touch a little bit on nutrition. We should probably <laughs> not touch it if we're gonna be talking which about Which we said, it.
1: which we said we're gonna do it last time and then we hardly
0: <laughs> did at all. Yes, exactly. Um, but I really also want you to explain to me and our listeners about the whole self-development thing because a lot of us roll our eyes you know, on hearing this word, not really knowing what that means. So would you give us a bit of an insight into um self-development? And I also want to know how you ended up getting into this whole coaching training game. Uh, what led you to it?
1: It's actually really interesting because now that I'm thinking about, you know, how do you define self-development? I don't think I'm so much interested in the definition of what it is. I think for me, it's always the, it's basically self-knowledge. How well do you understand yourself? How do you understand who you are? How how well you understand what drives your behavior? What drives your decisions? Um, and what I find, I think, whether we roll our eyes thinking about personal development or not, the reality is we're all going through personal development, whether you choose to or not. So when it comes to self-development, and I'm getting really distracted <laughs> by you playing with the mic. <laughs> When it comes to self-development, it's really like, if you think about who you were 10 years ago, ideally, you want to feel like over the last 10 years, you've developed, you've changed, you've learned more about yourself. If you stay the same as you were 10 years ago, you haven't developed, you haven't really learned anything about yourself. So for me, when it comes to self-development, it's understanding who you are through your experience, through your bad experiences, which is, again, the things that we've talked about on my podcast, about, you know, how much... We have been shaped in the past through all the negative experiences, um, but also it's, it plays a vital role in health and our relationship with ourselves because unless you understand why you're making the decisions that you're making, unless you find, and maybe that sounds a bit weird, but unless you find a level of balance and understanding from within, it's going to be really difficult for you to, to be in optimal health physically as well. So that's that's probably one of the main things when it comes to my own journey how I got into personal development and psychology and trying to dive deep into that world it's really just you know the typical story of you know going through pain going through a difficult time trying to understand okay well what's underlying these difficulties why am i suffering why am i going through difficulties And then, you know, really digging into your brain, digging into your own behavior. Um, And that led me to study psychology as my degree, reading probably every self-help book out there. Um, But then through then becoming a fitness professional, it sort of allowed me to, to practice the knowledge, you know, in a practical way with my clients and with myself to see how does your psychology affect you physically as well how important is it when you work with clients when you're trying to get them healthy when you're trying to get them to lose weight and anyone who works in the fitness industry knows that weight loss in majority of cases is a psychological issue rather than you know physical like we all know what to do we all know we should eat less we should exercise more but it's something psychologically that stops us from doing it so that was always my area that I was interested in I remember, like, being 12 and the books that I was reading was about, like, drug addicts and, like, you know, really, like, hard life. (laughs) Like, I'm freaking 12 reading those really dark books. And fair enough, it was fiction. But it was still, like, you know, really heavy psychological, you know, addiction, drama issues. So I was always drawn, I think, part of me, maybe my personality, I was always drawn to the psychology and suffering and trying to understand, um... So that's why I went into psychology. The second reason why I went into psychology is something that we both discussed, you know, the last time we were talking, which was coming to this country when I was a teenager um, and not speaking English was, you know, was very limiting for me when it came to choosing GCSEs, choosing A-levels. And even though part of my brain was always very biologically orientated Um, because of the language limitations, I couldn't do biology, I couldn't do chemistry. So whenever I done my A-levels and it was time to choose a degree, like there was no hope for me to get into genetics or, you know, um, biomedical science or whatever stuff that, you know, I thought I would be interested. So because my A-levels were very much sort of humanistic and like social sciences, then it sort of naturally, you know, pushed me towards psychology and I, I loved it.
0: It's really funny you mentioned those kind of psychological heavy books when you were young. <laughs> because I was reading about Holocaust when I was. A kid. <laughs> i was actually reading about it now. So yes. <laughs> I mean, from about that age through to my sort of late teens, like seventeen, eighteen, I was reading just about any book written by Czech authors mm-hmm. about their experiences mm-hmm. with the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. It's. It's is this like Eastern European thing or something that from the young age we're just drawn to these dark. I think um, it's actually like even
1: though we laugh about it, there's definitely a point in the fact that if you are exposed to, you know, suffering, you know, at a young age, like you're 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 sort of forced to grow up quicker. But it's interesting to to see that commonality between us that. We are drawn to, to this darkness and to, and I don't think we're drawn to it because we find some weird pleasure in other people's pain. I think it's really, you know, that that empathetic side of us and, you know, that part that wants to understand pain, that wants to understand understand suffering, but clearly from that perspective of wanting to make
0: things better, you know, wanting to help or wanting to help ourselves as well it was really funny how each of us took something different from it so you went the psychology route mm-hmm. whereas i reading about all these experiences and i do remember thinking it was really interesting psychologically like i remember one particular book and i can't remember the name of the author but i remember the chapter in which he described how he knew he was going to get deported mm-hmm. and so for weeks and he weeks he practiced So he wouldn't suffer as much. So he stopped sleeping on bed. And he started sleeping on wood floor. He uh, got rid of most of his possessions. Mm Because he knew he wouldn't be able to take things with Mm -hmm. him. And all these little things. Just Mm -hmm. practicing. Mm -hmm. So he would be prepared for the harshness of the environment. Mm -hmm. Which he knew he was going to find himself in. And psychologically I just found it fascinating. But I was never really interested into going and studying psychology. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was interested in literature.
1: Yeah, but, you know, it's it's the same thing. Because, for example, what you just described, it's so, like, psychologically, I don't think I'll, like, if we're talking, you know, whenever I was 15, I don't think I could read a book like that and be like, you know, this is what's happening psychologically with this guy. Whereas, like, now, I obviously, you know, 20 years later or whatever. Actually, not 20 years. I'm not, I'm not 35. Um, but, you know after studying psychology and personal development and diving in into, you know, a lot of different books and trying to really understand the world from like so many different perspectives, you can read something like that and like actually understand the process and the value. So the guy is basically, so what's causing suffering? A lot of what, and that could be, you know, whether you listen to Buddha, whoever you listen to, you know, it's it's our attachment to things. So if you, if you imagine in that particular dark, awful time of history, you know, a lot of people were losing everything. And if you're attached to your possessions, if you're defined by your possessions, if you feel like, you know, I need to have this in my life, um, you're nearly going to suffer twice as much as if you were able to do what this guy did, which is I'm going to let go of all of my attachments. And then if I get deported. Like, yes, I'm still going to go through probably a lot of suffering because it's still a war and it's still, you know, um, you know, the camps and everything else were absolutely, you know, terrifying, but he's still mentally, he's winning over his enemy because he's like, well, I've already let go of all of my possessions. So you're not taking away anything from me. So again, it brings us to this really interesting concept of, you know, are you a victim? Or are you in control, are you taking responsibility for um, for the situation? And again, if you've, I'm sure you've read, you know, a lot of different books, but um, one of the most famous ones, you know, A Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, who was in Auschwitz and he wrote about, um, you know, trying to find meaning when you're in this completely meaningless situation. You'll find that, you know, people who survive or people who are able to go through, those crazy levels of suffering are people who can take responsibility in the situation they're in and not be the victim, despite the fact that, like, everything around them is working against them. So, you know, now, whenever I look at books, whenever I look at history, um, I really understand it from a way deeper psychological perspective. But again, not just in terms of, like, here's a psychological theory. Here's, you know, how you apply it. It's really, it comes through... Probably, you know, personal experiences, but really just trying to understand human nature, understand how our brain works, what we're drawn to as humans. Um, and it's just, yeah, it was always and still is a part of my brain that you know I always try to understand different sides of the story. You know, the conversation that we shared whenever we talked about your past on, on my podcast, it was always the same thing like, what. Like, there's a person who's obviously a victim and there's obviously a person who's who's the oppressor, but the oppressor is also a victim. You know, there's always a story, you know, behind everything. So I think I honestly believe, um, to maybe answer your question about self-development, why it's important is because the world would be a way better place if everyone had this ability to look at things from every angle and be a little bit more objective and a little bit less judgmental. So that sounded deep. <laughs>
0: that sounded really deep. I'm completely, completely thrown, speechless. I completely forgot what I wanted to ask you
1: now. <laughs> that's fine, just go with the flow. That's that's the issue with those conversations is that, you know, you, you go into the rabbit holes and especially when it comes, you know, to psychology and like, you know, our behaviors and like all the darkest secrets of the world, like my brain just goes there. And sometimes you will have to just Dig me item. Kaya, <laughs> come back to us.
0: <laughs> so that actually seems to me like self-development. It's basically like you can throw pretty much anything that has anything to do with a human being. With you. <laughs> <Like> <laughs> yeah. this self-development mm-hmm. basket. hmm So that's obviously health, physical, mental. Mm-hmm. I don't really want to separate it anymore. That's the way we behave, the way we um feel, the way we interact with Others, the way we communicate, the way we perceive things, the way we eat, mm-hmm. the way we look after ourselves and look after others, it really is everything.
1: And that's why, you know, I'm I'm very like even the word personal development or self-development, you know, it I think now, you know, it sort of has this this definition attached to it that, you know, it's all about self-help or it's all about, you know, personal development gurus that tell you, you know, do this or do that. Like, it's really not about trying to label things. It's not about trying to say, here's what you have to do. But it's really recognizing that when it comes to self-development, you know, it's just a name. It's just, you know, a label. But the reality is that no matter what you do in your life, you know, if you think like, why are you living? Like, are you living to just stay the same? Or are you living to, to try and develop and try and grow and try to expand your knowledge? Um, do you want to be healthier a year from now than you are now? Like, you know, it's these like self-development. And again, like I even feel weird using that term because for me, it's just it's just common sense. You know, life is about developing yourself. Life is about growing. And there's so many different angles. So when it comes to health, you know, it's all about self-improvement you know it's all about and again I'm trying to be very mindful about the words that I'm using because maybe you don't necessarily try to improve yourself maybe you actually want to strip down all the bad habits because ultimately like it's not about changing everything or improving sometimes it's like you just have to you know throw away a few things that you that you've built up over the years. I'm trying to articulate, you know, an idea that's really complex in my head. But no matter what you do in your life, yes, you can just plateau and just exist from day to day and just, you know, do nothing about your health, do nothing about your life, do nothing about your career. And sadly, I think, especially in the health um, side of things, I think a lot of people do just that, which is they just neglect it completely, they give away their, their power. So it's just like, well. You know, I'm busy, I work a lot, I have family, so I'm just going to eat whatever and I'm not going to exercise because I don't have time. And again, like, I'm still compassionate and I still understand those struggles because, you know, working as a personal trainer previously, like, I understand that the issues that people have and how difficult it is to build the habits around healthy living. But at the same time, you know, your health is still within your control and it's still something that you nearly have responsibility to focus on and improve because if you just, you know, coast and ignore it, like it obviously just going to get worse and worse until one day you wake up, usually with some sort of, you know, doctor um, um, prescription or whatever saying, well, you have, you know, high cholesterol, and high blood pressure, here's some statins for you, you know, you're, you're done, you know, so it's, it's sad to see that people see a lot of parts of their lives or themselves as something that's out of their control even though it's the complete opposite it should be their responsibility to develop and grow and improve
0: growing that's the word Mm -hmm. i think it's about growth Mm -hmm. isn't it yeah definitely
1: i think you know and i would be probably more inclined to use whenever i'm talking about things like that it's really about growing and building self-awareness building self-knowledge rather than using the terms personal development or self-development because I think those terms are like really dry and really nearly um, clinical in a sense. it's very
0: corporate. It's very corporate
1: and it's very like, I see myself freaking suited up (laughs) right (laughs) on the stage and like being a personal development person. I don't think it's about personal development. I don't think it's about fancy theories and like, you know, beautiful presentations. It's really about you know, what do you want to achieve as a person? And, you know, not to make this podcast really grim, but like everyone's going to die. You don't know when you're going to die. Who do you want to become? And it's funny because a lot of the times and in some of my previous jobs as well, when I was working with people and you're asking a person to either describe what they're good at, or you're asking a person like, where do they see themselves, you know, in the future? Or, Or even like in a more abstract way you know asking people what would you like your life to look like ideally and you see people just being stuck and like not being able to answer anything about what they would like their life to be what what kind of person would they like to become because I find some people have this like limiting perception in their mind where who I am now is all I can be you know like you know what I mean like it's it's like this is who I am, this is what I know, that's all there is to me. Ignoring the fact that there's so much growth potential and so much opportunity to change and again develop, right? All of those words. But it is, I think, the key, if we were to really draw out like the key terms, I would probably say growth and learning and awareness. And I don't think majority of us are actually interested in growing and learning and Awareness.
0: I think that's something that every single person has to kind of get to a certain point in their life when they do become interested. Mm-hmm. I know that certainly for myself, it took me until, you know, till my like late 20s, early 30s, I was never interested in like becoming somebody better or even thinking that I could be a better person or have. Better life I knew I wanted A better life Mm -hmm. But I didn't realise I need to Do something Become a different person And it's it's not Gonna happen Just like that Mm -hmm. And And I think It takes a lot of time For And everybody gets Gets to it At a different point In their life Like you have people who At the age of 16 They know exactly What they want their Like Life to look like And they Mm -hmm. know exactly How to get there And what tools to use And they know who they want to be. But then you have people who still don't know that at the age of 50, 60, Mm -hmm. having gone most of their life, you know, not actually knowing where they were going Mm -hmm. or why.
1: And I think, you know, it's, it's a generational thing as well because the world that we live in and the opportunities we have, you know, the exposure to different knowledge is completely different than people, you know, our parents or their parents, you know, it's a completely different world. And if we think about their grandparents, for example, living in the post-war Eastern Europe, right, their priorities are going to be completely different than, you know, how can I become a better person, right? It's, it's nearly a luxury for us to be able to say, well, how can I learn? How can I grow? How can I, you know, be a better person? Because we do have, you know, nice, comfortable homes, a car, you know, a nice place podcast mic you know all of those things (laughs) like you know our our lives have changed and I think you know it's unfair to look back at you know people especially like during the war and be able to say you know why are they not reading personal development books Um, but what I think as well is like generational it's one thing but you know the thing that always for the longest time made me like really confused in my head is that some people go their entire lives without asking those questions without you know um, without trying to do better and like that that used to bug me a lot until I understood few sort of main concepts so when we think about learning a lot of people who maybe had bad experiences in school do not want to hear the word learn because like that obviously has an association with something that you're forced to something that's difficult something that you just have to memorize and I think a lot of people just don't like the idea of learning because of the bad association that they have with, you know, school and sort of going through that. But the main thing that for me sort of came down and and explained, one, my previous behavior, but two, the fact that there are people um, who just go through their entire life either complaining or being a victim. is like this idea that, you know, you have to Um, mindset so you have your fixed mindset and then you have your growth mindset and it's actually there's been psychological studies done Um, there's a book called mindset surprisingly um, and it explains all the psychological studies that were done on it and the idea of fixed mindset is something that I had for the longest time and it is really just this in your head you learn to believe that you know what you know is all you know that Um, if you're not good at something, you're just not good at something and you're completely blind and oblivious to the fact that some skills are actually learnable. So you're in your head, you're thinking, you know, you're either this or you're not. And that's it. Whereas if you have growth mindset, and that's something that obviously you can, you know, learn as a child. And I think majority of people grow up with this fixed mindset of thinking, here's who I am. Here's what I do. Here's all I know. That's it. The growth mindset on the other side is, you know, they don't label things. It's more, okay, here's what it is. But if I put enough work, I can learn it. If I put enough time and effort into something, I can grow and achieve and whatever. So it's really like one of the two things that were sort of split is the fixed mindset is you are born a certain way. You're only, you know, this is your IQ score. This is who you are. um, There's only a limited things that you can do. The growth mindset is okay, here's where I am, here's where I start. Now what can I learn? How can I improve? How could I get to where I need to go? So I always grew up, like I and I think majority of people grow up with the fixed mindset. For for example, and I, I can't remember if I used that example in my previous podcast whenever we were talking, but whenever I was six or five, um, I went to my friends house and she was telling me that you know she was dancing in this you know um dance group whatever and like she was like two years older than me so she was like seven let's say and then I was like oh I always wanted to dance you know and she was like sure you can join our club and I was like no it's too late for me and I was like five or six but in my head I was like but those kids already know how to dance I don't so it's impossible for me to learn and I never danced even though since I was five, like I always wanted to dance. Um, But it was this fixed mindset that you either know how to do something or you don't. That mindset followed me around for the rest of my life. So for example, I went, I was a swimmer, but you have good swimmers and you have average swimmers. I was the average swimmer. And that was me. That was me defined. Never in my head Would I think that actually, if I put more effort and if I invest more time, I can become a good swimmer? No. In my head, that was fixed. This is like fixed abilities. There's nothing I can do to improve it. That was it. Any skill that I wanted to learn, anything that I was really interested in, like I started like, you know, doing graphic design when I was 12, but I was like, yeah, but there's people who are better than me at this, so therefore... I have to stop doing this because I will never learn. Like it was just like now looking back, I was just like, Jesus, I was crazy. Like, of course you can learn, but it took me, you know, a good 20 years, 25 years to realize it's all in your head. It's all and I don't want to say self-imposed limits because they're not self-imposed, they're imposed on you through your environment, I would say, when you're a child. And I at the age of 28. I signed up for my first dance class, which starts in two weeks.
0: (laughs) Oh my God! Congratulations! Bloody hell, I should do that? (laughs) But this is so funny, because I was exactly like that. And it took me a lot longer than 25 years. And it was a gradual, very, very slow and gradual process. When I was five, my grandmother made me to join gymnastics club. And I think I went there for about two years. And the whole two years, I imposed on myself one limit. Everybody was able to do splits.
1: Except you. Except
0: me. (laughs) (laughs) And the whole time I knew, I thought I knew, I knew that I would be the only one who will never, ever, ever, ever be able to do a split. And so I never did. And this is the
1: exact, you know, this is such a good example. But if you think about it, you will, and it's, it's such a simple complex or, com, it's such a simple um, idea, concept was the word I was looking for. Whenever you actually look at it, because can you really realistically ever achieve anything or let yourself achieve anything if you honestly believe that you can't? The answer is no. Like you were equally as capable of doing splits as the rest of the kids. The only reason why you weren't able to do them was because in your head you said, Everyone can do it magically, but there's something about me that makes me less human than them, which means I can't do splits. And it's I just my legs just didn't work like that. <laughs> like yeah. everybody's
0: legs were better. Mm-hmm.
1: But what what would actually happen if you said to yourself You know, at that point, if you're able, and it's obviously impossible because you're five or seven at the time, to actually have this magical um, self-awareness moment where you're like, you know what? I am like the rest of the people. I am capable of doing splits. All I have to do is spend a bit more time stretching and spend a little bit more time pushing myself mentally, trying. And then I would say probably a month from that moment, you would be doing splits But you probably never did a full split because that voice in your head just decided that you can't.
0: I'll get there. I think my personal trainer, she's probably going to hear this podcast and she's going to go, right.
1: Splits! We're training splits, bitch! (laughs) (laughs) But you know, this is such a funny example to talk about splits, but there are so many way more serious things in life that we tell ourselves exactly the same story. Yeah. That... I'm just, and like that could be, you know, in business, that could be, yeah, but I've never made whatever amount of money. So I'm not capable of making that amount of money.
0: Oh my God. This is a whole different area. I think there is something really strange about, especially women and their relationship with money.
1: Yes. Let's go there.
0: When I was waiting for you sitting in a car, I was actually emailing with a colleague of mine Mm -hmm. asking, how do you ask the company's accountant to pay pay you invoice that I submitted like three weeks ago and still hasn't been paid. You
1: phone them, you say (laughs) Pay me my money
0: It's but it's so funny. And a lot of people have the same problem. It's just it's not just women, I don't wanna be sexist here, but there is something strange. A lot of women have this problem. We have a very strange relationship with money. It's like we don't and until you sort out that relationship, you will not be able to make more money, earn more money, because deep down, you, you're just, it's like you're blocking. And I know I have it. Mm-hmm. That's why I like, actually still at this point in my life, I'm 38 now. I still believe that I come from no money. So I'll never have any money because I'm useless at making money. And why am I useless at making mm-hmm. money? Because I'm telling myself that I'm useless at making money. Mm-hmm. But it's like walking in a circle. How the heck do you break that circle?
1: So here's actually a really funny thing. Because I was, a, I was recording a podcast episode for my podcast yesterday with my friend. And like we ended up talking about money as well. Um, it was a very, very similar conversation. We didn't go super deep. But the funny thing as well is that for the past week, that was one of my focuses as well, like in terms of understanding from the psychological perspective, the issue with money. Because as you said, a lot of people have issues with money. I don't think it's mainly women, but I think it's women more from a psychological um, personality side of things. And I'll explain what I mean in a second. So... A few things about money that I've been there's there's a few um, authors that I was reading recently as well, and it's just super fascinating. So the first thing, why maybe touch on the gender differences, you know, when it comes to women and when it comes to men um, from a personality profile, women tend to be more agreeable, and woman women tend to be more emotional in a sense, not in a you know bad emotional, but like we're more empathetic and stuff like that, which makes us straight away. Um, less likely to fight for our money or demand our money. So for example, if you're uh, from a personality profile, if you're a disagreeable person, right? and um, by When we think about extreme, the most disagreeable people are men and the most agreeable people are women. But there's obviously a pretty fair overlap in terms of like, you know, there's disagreeable women and there's agreeable men. But when it comes to extreme, you know, there's differences there statistically. Um, if you're more disagreeable you're not going to feel bad about contacting the accountant and being like, here, you're two weeks behind on my invoice. Like, what's going on? Whereas if you're a very agreeable, compassionate, empathetic woman... Are you going to phone that accountant and demand your money? No, you're probably going to let it sit for six months because the man probably or the the woman, whoever the accountant is, probably forgot about your invoice and that's why you're not getting paid. But you probably heard the examples before where someone's like, "Yeah, but I feel bad, you know, asking or you know, being a pain and reminding them about, yes, you know." That's me. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, so we've established that right. There's there could be some personality differences at play. Um, that you know, maybe you're afraid of confrontation and you just don't want to be a pain. But what's at the root of the issue? So the root, there's there's again a few angles that we can take, and I love that I get to geek out about it because like that's that's such an interesting topic. So one is it's not so much the relationship with money as it is your relationship to yourself and your idea of how much you deserve. Because if you think you don't deserve to be paid on time, if you feel like you don't deserve to get shitloads loads of money for one project, if you don't trust your, if you don't value your own abilities, if you don't value your own expertise, you're more likely to charge less for it. So it's sort of, if you think about it, it comes down to this idea of how much do I value myself? How much do I value my expertise, my work, my abilities, my skills, my time, and then put in a fair price on it. If you think about it from that perspective, if you truly believe in your worth, if you truly deserve that, you deserve to be paid the money that you want, you're not going to settle for less. So sorry to break it to you, but it comes down to self. Do I want to call it self-esteem? Probably self-worth self-worth but like not the self-worth that's sort of on a conscious level because I have no doubt that you and we've talked about it before like you respect yourself you you've come to you know through your own journey you've learned to you know appreciate yourself appreciate your body which again what you had to do through your own you know health journey as well but at the deeper subconscious level what you said, coming from no money, right? And a lot of, you know, you see that, like it's such a national thing as well for Eastern Europe that like majority of people have a very sick relationship with money because it's just like, I came from money and like, you know, money is, you know, for rich people and they're all dickheads and whatever, right? <laughs> and it's like, you know, it's such a such a deep thing. So personality differences is one thing. Um, how much you think you deserve and how much you you think you're worth to get paid is another thing. Um, and the third thing that I think is really interesting as well is one of the books or one of the podcasts and sort of YouTube videos that I've been um, I've been listening to recently is a guy called Kyle Cease. And he has he actually has a book now coming out on money, which anyone who's interested about you know changing your relationship with money. I think that's something that would be um, beneficial. His uh, one of the things that he talked about is: imagine that um, you're going out on a date with money, and you're just like, you're not enough, and you're, you know, I'm working so hard, and you're you're causing all those problems because you're never there when I need you, and. And I'm working so hard. And like, you're you're giving money all this shit. Like, if you were money, would you like to go out on a date with you? Would you like to hang about? Um, it's this like, you know, really abstract and sort of crazy idea. But if you want to have money, you nearly have to make a decision to, okay, I might only have, you know, 400 quid in my account right now. And I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills next month. But I appreciate that 400 quid for being there. Um, I might only you know, um, like it's silly things, but like learning to appreciate what you have and be grateful for the fact that, you know, it's there and you can still pay for your house and you can still pay for whatever bills you have rather than being stuck in this scarcity mindset of, um, yeah, there's never any money. Because what actually happens is like what happened with your splits, right? It's like, I never have any money. So suddenly if you get a lot of money, like mentally, you're not ready for it, and I don't know. Like I'm sure a lot of people are aware of it. Maybe some people don't. Majority of people who win lottery lose it within three years, and in fact, end up in worse debt, worse depression, worse addiction that they were whenever before they won the lottery. It's not because you know there's the money is evil. It's not like the money that causes all these problems, but it's the person mentally wasn't ready for that amount of money. Not in a woo-woo way. It's like if you've never had money and someone gives you loads of money and you feel like you don't deserve that money and you feel like you're not worth that money, you're going to self-sabotage. You're going to spend it on whatever. You have no concept of how money actually works or to invest. You're just going to spend it on all the pleasures and three years from now, you're going to end up in debt. If you're someone who knows that you're worth the money, know that you have skill that is worth the money and you deserve it. If you're someone who respects money and feels grateful for your money, you're more likely to spend it in a way that's aligned with whatever you're trying to achieve. You're less likely to rush into stupid decisions. Um, and the money is just there and it grows and it develops. But it's not about money. It's about you as a person. You know, it's always... and. The reason why, and that goes back to your first question, the reason why I got into self-development or personal development or or these whole psychological ideas, it's because everything in your life starts in your psychology. Everything in your life, how much money you have, what house you live in, the, um, the quality of your relationships come from your inner perspective on the world, on yourself, and on what you deserve. And what you should and you shouldn't have. So that's me going deep again. I can't breathe.
0: <laughs> it's almost like there is this little universe inside your head. Yes. That you don't realize you control.
1: Because you don't necessarily control it. You know, that's or, You know, that universe is the combination of your unconscious and your subconscious. So all those things that you absorbed as a child, that you weren't able to rationally comprehend, that you weren't able to explain to yourself. So if you grow up, and we've had, you know, to some extent, similar experiences growing up, but if you grow up in a family, for example, where there's always pressures about money and there's always fights about money and then there's always pain associated with money and fear associated with money, Will you grow up thinking, like, I want more money in my life? Or I, like, rationally, yes, you will think about, yeah, I need to have more money because, you know, that will fix all the problems. But because you have so much fear associated with, like, the whole idea of money, like, you will try and keep yourself as far away from it as you can. But you will also develop really destructive beliefs about money. You know, you will start to believe that, you know, it's... It's you know money that um, broke down like or destroyed my family. It's money that you know caused all this suffering. You know, Um, like all those or like there's never enough money. Or as a child, you can you know sort of because you can't comprehend it. You can you know sort of associate it with like I'm not worth the money, right? Or money hates me. Or like I know I'm speaking in a very abstract way, but. Psychology is abstract in a lot of ways. And especially when we talk about childhood experiences, you don't have the ability to comprehend. You just like absorbed everything emotionally. And we've talked about, you know, the impact it has on your physical health whenever you were in my podcast. But it's the same thing applies to money. If you grow up with really messed up perspective on money, you will not make money because psychologically you're not sort of, you know, you're not going to be ready for money. Um, so I'm not an expert or a financial advisor, but I see from a psychological perspective, I see exactly what's going on. So if you are a person struggling with money, I think what's really important is to understand that it's not that there's something wrong with you or that there's something wrong with the world or it's, you know, this fixed position where it is the way it is and it will never be changed because of whatever. It is a psychological aspect that you can address and you can work through the first thing what I said about deservability and worthiness if you were and I don't know if you're ready to be honest but if you were to ask yourself do you feel like you deserve money let's say a lot of money would you feel mentally that you do no (laughs) and you know we can like it's funny but that's the truth right and it's a truth for a lot of people that internally because of our experiences or because of our past because of our insecurities we feel like we don't deserve to get more money so let me be a psychologist here and i'm not a qualified psychologist by the way why do you feel
0: you don't deserve money i, I don't know i actually really don't know do you it's like part it's like part of me is I work hard and I deserve it. Mm -hmm. I am worth it. And a part of me is that I think it's because I growing up and even sort of part of me still hates money for what it is Mm -hmm. and what it does to the world. And I actually really part of me really wishes that we could live in this utopian world. That's
1: that's called Soviet Union. It didn't work out really
0: well. That word. Forget about the Soviets. Okay, <laughs> not, not not these, not these boys. <laughs> but um, it's just where people would value other things other than money. You know, the hippie in me, like the tree hugger. You know, value nature and turn to nature more. And so, part of me really, really hates money for what it is. The because I associate it with the greed, the the mm-hmm. chasing of things, mm-hmm. stressing about. Not having a big house, not having a big car. Who fucking wants a big car anyway? It's just pollutes the air anyway.
1: <laughs> Unless it's Tesla. I want a Tesla. I really want a Tesla. Big car.
0: <laughs> but, you know, so part of me really... So there is a part of me that feels I work hard and I do deserve to be paid such and such. Mm-hmm. And a part of me is, God, I hate money so much.
1: <laughs> so I love your answer and I think it gives us so much to work with because (laughs) let's let's answer the first question you said very um very clearly i hate money will you make money if you hate money probably not probably not okay (laughs) so this is this is super interesting so few things that you've pointed out okay the idea of people being materialistic so if you chase a bigger car if you chase a bigger house if you chase more money Is it because you're greedy or is it because you're lacking something inside and you feel so empty that like you feel that this is what's going to fill your emptiness? So what I'm trying to get here is this idea that I touched on at the start. There's always different sides of the story. And it's like this idea of judgment that it's really easy to look at other people and think they're greedy, they're materialistic. But you have to be able to catch yourself because, and I'm, again, I'm trying to build it in my head because it's nearly everything you said about greedy people is nearly to justify the fact that, like, you don't like money and you don't want money. Like, would you not like a a bigger house? Oh, don't get me wrong. I don't
0: think that everybody's greedy. Yeah. It's just, like, part part of it, you know, because a lot of us... Mm -hmm. Are so afraid of mm-hmm. turning and mm-hmm. looking actually yeah. what's inside of us and yeah. where we what we need to work on. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of self development mm-hmm. or, or mm-hmm. The growing yeah. thing we don't want to do that. So mm-hmm. we're doing other things. We're chasing, chasing, mm-hmm. chasing, mm-hmm. and instead of chasing knowledge and chasing the personal growth, mm-hmm. we're chasing stuff, mm-hmm. things, mm-hmm. items, mm-hmm. better items, bigger items. You know, I absolutely am aware of that. Mm -hmm. It's not like that I think that everybody who's chasing stuff is greedy. There's definitely personal things going Mm -hmm. on. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But I still hate it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But that's the thing, you know,
1: it's... It sort of comes down to the idea of beliefs as well. Because from what you're saying is, you know, you... Consciously or not, you're associating money with that greed, in a sense. That you associate money with capitalism and materialistic sort of um, drive. And like, you sort of feel what you've said early on, that people should focus on different things like nature and health and appreciate and, you know, other things. But realistically, if you look at money, for example, with your work, okay? Whenever you're doing your podcast, you want to spread the knowledge about healthy living. You want to change um, how farming is being done, you know, through promotion of organic farming, stuff like that. There's so much passion do they that you have in this area would you be able to um, put all of that into practice and grow something bigger if you had more money yeah yeah okay so it's this idea that having and it's something that's actually super important I'll come back to it but having more money is not necessarily bad the money that you have, it's it's who you are. So, for example, if you're a greedy person, if you have more money, you're just gonna be more greedy. If you're a passionate person about something, more money is going to allow you to make more good in the world. So, for example, if we talk <laughs> we talk briefly about socialism, um, it's not so much about deleting the money of of the earth and saying life is going to be better now. Oh, because we've seen in the past, in the history, especially us in Eastern Europe, that, you know, socialism has really oh, bad consequences. Well
0: actually, <laughs> communists are really fucking bastards.
1: Exactly, exactly. So it actually, it's a whole different, we can talk about it, Well, it's a whole different thing that people even know, you know, and people who believe in Marxism and communism, or like socialism, they call it, you know. it's But like, I'm not going in there because we'll be <laughs> ranting all night. But it's this idea, basically what I'm trying to get on is understanding that i i feel and that's you know for what you said you hate money because you have beliefs about it being used in a bad way being spent on things that don't matter that just you know pollute pollute the earth and like make things worse whereas the reality is having more money allows you to sort of you know to do more good in the world as well so to to be more um you know, helping with, you know, all the stuff that you're passionate about. But as long as you hate money and as long as you associate it with all the negative things, it'll always be an enemy and you will never move towards an enemy because in your head, subconsciously or consciously, it's an enemy. So I think the trick is, how do you reframe what money means to you? Because if you see that, I hate money because it's causing all this, pain in the world? Can you reframe it to, I love money because if I had more money and if more good people had money, they could change the world completely. And the reality is, depends where you look, there are really good people out there who use their money in an incredible, incredible way. The money is just a tool that allows you as a person to use it in whatever way you can. So I think the biggest way other than, you know, the idea whether you deserve it or not, um, that's probably the first step. But the second step is to really catch yourself in terms of how you think about money. Because if you can comfort- comfortably say that you hate money, we're going back to this dating scenario. Like, if you hate me, like, why would I be around you? Like, why would I want to come into your life when you, like, constantly push me away? Um, so I don't feel like I'm articulating myself really clearly but. It's just there's a lot of issues with money and it sounds so simple and probably weird to some people. But a lot of issues with money come from your own mind and your own psychology. And we don't want to believe it. And we always want to blame the oppressors and blame the economy. Like these are... Real factors, right? Especially we'll see what happens. Like you know, the economy can collapse at any minute. There's no joke when the economy collapses. You know, there's issues there that you know are external and they're real factors. But for majority of people, it's not the external circumstances that cause your situation. It's your beliefs. It's your it's your own limits. It's your own upbringing. You know, the stuff that you absorbed. And if you can start addressing your own sense of self-worth and how much you value your work and how much you actually give yourself credit for your skills and your capabilities, and if you address your beliefs about money and what you associate it with and work on reframing it into something positive, that's how you start making money. Amen.
0: We didn't talk about nutrition again.
1: (laughs) Maybe that's why, you know, over the years... I sort of moved away from... And like, don't get me wrong. I'm super passionate about nutrition. I'm super passionate about fitness. I've done it for years. I loved working with my clients. But ultimately, that was just like one piece of the puzzle for me. Nutrition, physical health, and all of your psychology is like... You can't... What you said at the start, you can't separate those things, right? You can't separate everything comes from within.
0: And actually, I think we touched on it when I was on your podcast. Because... Nutrition is great and it's uber important, Mm -hmm. but you can eat the healthiest diet in the world. You can fill your body with all the nutrients it needs to function properly, but if you're stressed Mm -hmm. and you have negative thoughts and you just within yourself, you're not right inside... Mm -hmm then it doesn't matter because you're still going to be ill unless you fix what's inside. And
1: that's, you know, that's a big thing. And it's a whole different conversation as well. Like there's so many conversations that we should be having. But when it comes to nutrition as well, like it all comes from the inside as well. What makes you eat healthy? Like what makes you stick to eating healthy? Um, the relationship with food, you know, what we've discussed relationship with money, but relationship with food is a whole different thing as well. And, And coming from the experience of working with, you know, PT clients, like weight loss is all about your relationship with food and, you know, people struggling with, you know, weight issues and obesity. Like it's not that they just eat too much. Like they probably do, but why do they eat too much? Like what's driving them to eat too much? There's always an element like physiological, you know, when it comes to your, um, you know, how how your appetite is, you know, your hormones and stuff like that. But like the physical part is only a small part of the problem. You know, psychologically what's going on. So when it comes to trying to get people to lose weight, Yes, it's important to understand nutrition when it comes, you know, how many calories you should be eating, what stuff you should be eating. But it's a very common sort of issue in fitness world is that you get your client to lose two stone, three stone, whatever, and majority of people will regain it, you know, once they stop training, because psychologically, you maybe put like a quick intervention and help that person stay focused for a number of months. But psychologically they will sort of go back to what feels natural so yeah I think and that's why I'm so passionate about that stuff and again I don't want to call it just self-development but I'm passionate about our minds or thinking or perspective or psychology because there is not a single area of our life that is not affected in fact everything is everything derives from the way we think about the world and ourselves
0: Yeah, I I don't think I can add anything to that. That just sums it up pretty much. I think it does. Thank you very much. Thank you. And actually, before I let you go, there's a very important thing I need to ask, because I ask all of my guests. Go for it. What is your diet like? And do you have a favorite vegetable?
1: Avocado was my favorite vegetable for the longest time, I think. We fell out and weren't no well, longer actually, together.
0: No wonder avocado fell out with you because avocado is a fruit.
1: Ooh, just for burn. Yeah. Okay, that burn. shows how little I know about nutrition. <laughs> Damn it! That just um, undermined my whole expertise here. After this podcast, well, actually,
0: technically, avocado is probably. Isn't it a berry because it is a
1: seed? It's something, something weird. I remember, yeah, no, I remember there was some weird article about it. Okay, so avocado doesn't count, but we don't love each other anymore, so it's fine. <laughs> I was going to say tomato, but that's also a fruit, so I can't <laughs> say that. Jesus, that's a difficult question. But it's all labels. We don't need any more labels yeah, no, in our lives. Okay, like in terms of like veg that I eat the most of would be broccoli. And I do like broccoli. So I can eat a lot of broccoli
0: and I like oh, it. Oh, you're one of those weird... Yes, I am.
1: I love, I like a good cauliflower cheese as well. (laughs) In terms of what my diet is like, it's actually Jesus, that's going to start me on another rant and we should be wrapping up. But (laughs) when it comes to my diet, it's very much non-judgmental right now. And that's the biggest thing that anyone can do for me going through every single diet and eating disorders and everything in my past. For me, if I feel like a brownie, I go and eat a brownie. If I feel like I want to have a nice steamed broccoli, I have a nice steamed broccoli. And for me, the biggest lesson is I'm listening to my body. I'm taking it slow and I'm not judging my decisions. I'm being mindful in terms of I want the best for my body. But the time for you to be, the, the way for you to be able to be, you know, the best for your body is to actually listen to your body and listen to yourself and not place labels and judgment on your decisions. That's very deep, again. I'm a very deep <laughs> person in case you haven't
0: noticed. Well, I have. <laughs> so broccoli, okay. So to wrap it up, would you have a recipe, some, some, something that you really like with broccoli that you could share with our listeners?
1: Oh, I could probably like a broccoli cream soup.
0: Ooh, that sounds really tasty. Mm -hmm. Yes, please.
1: Does it have to be like a non-dairy or gluten-free or vegan? Or can it be like a a... plant-based?
0: Preferably. It doesn't have to be gluten-free. It's always modifiable Mm -hmm. if Mm -hmm. there's any...
1: I can do two variations.
0: Yeah, there's always substitutes that people can use. Like I always... Tell people to mm-hmm. use substitutes for to suit their diet mm-hmm. and their personal needs. I'm like broccoli cream. Ooh. Mm-hmm. I'm getting excited here. Yes. That really tasty. <laughs> it is. Can you share it now or will you just send me I'll the... send it through tea. Okay, sweet. So we'll share that later. Thank you very much. Thank you. Right. After the wobble at the start of this interview, I can confirm that this was indeed an episode 35 I can't believe I forgot. Well, actually, I can totally believe I forgot. Uh, but anyway, we're on episode 35 and I'm really, really grateful that we've made it this far. And hopefully there will be many more episodes to come. Um, after this chat with Kaya, I decided two things. One, pit or no pit. Avocado should definitely be a vegetable. And two, self-development is about healthy mindset. As Kaya said, it all starts in our head. And a friend of mine said that to me nearly 20 years ago. And I never, ever believed that. And it took me many, many years to come to that conclusion myself. Okay, that was deep. Um, I haven't made Kaya's lovely recipe yet. But I am really looking forward to trying it soon because it sounds totally delicious. And even though the original recipe isn't vegan, um, it is very easy to make it so. What you need is one medium broccoli, half a medium cauliflower, two small potatoes, half a small leek, one small onion, two medium garlic cloves, one tablespoon of coconut oil. 100 grams of shredded vegan cheese, 75 ml of dairy-free cream. I recommend to use coconut cream. I'm not a massive fan of soy for many reasons. Some veggie stock or broth and pinch salt and pinch of pepper to season. Um, You just prep all the ingredients so you have them handy, chop, wash and chop your vegetables and then you saute your onions and garlic in the coconut oil and when they're soft enough you'll add the stock or the broth, whichever you're using. Then you add in all the chopped veggies and some water until all the veggies are covered and then you simply just boil it up until it's all soft. And when it's boiled, you let it cool down a little um, to put it in a blender. And then you blend it into a smooth paste. Add the cheese and cream and season with salt and pepper. Simples. I hope you really like this one. I would just add one thing to it. And that's because I'm obsessed with fresh herbs. I would totally top it with either parsley, coriander or lovage is in season right now. And... My dear listeners, if you've never tried Lovage, honestly, you don't know what you're missing. It has this really curry-like flavor and I absolutely love using it in wintertime in my stews, my curries, my soups. It's absolutely awesome. If you haven't tried it and you know somebody who grows Lovage or you know where to get it, you have to try it. Anyway, hope you like this recipe. It's really quick and simple and super nutritious. And coming winter time, it will absolutely be the kind of heartwarming meal um, you'll need. Um, remember, you can download all our recipes from our Facebook group page, The Sweet Spot on a Farm. It's in the file section. And you can also grab it from our Instagram. And if you like this podcast or any other of our episodes, please help us by leaving us a short, honest review on iTunes. You might not realize it, but those stars are really great help to any content maker. And I will be very grateful if you can leave us some. Um, If you don't use iTunes, um, you can leave us comments and feedback on whatever platform you're using. And if you'd like to know more about Kaya, please visit... Kayacoma.com that is K-A-J-A-C-H-O-M-A.com. Although uh, from what I understand, Kaya's website is currently undergoing some changes. So um, you can check her out on Facebook and Instagram. And you can also check out her own podcast. It's going to suck. Uh, The podcast doesn't suck, it's actually the name of the podcast. The title of Kaya's podcast is It's Going to Suck. And you can find it on iTunes. Um, I can highly recommend it. Her honest conversations and content are of really great value. And I'm not just saying that because I was on her podcast. I promise it's great. And if you'd like to get in touch with her for some training or content creation, you can do so again via Facebook or Instagram at Kaya. Coma. And and um, before i finish up today um if you are ni based let me remind you of the magic Flowbus event coming to crawfordsburn this very weekend the updated lineup of guests can now be found on themagicflowbus.com and i've linked it up to our facebook page and instagram too and um, make sure you do check it out and if you can get over there because this is going to be a fantastic weekend um, I'm gonna be there, of course, and um, so if you have the Sweet Spot Cookbook and want my humble scribbles in it, you can totally bring it along. And if you don't have the Sweet Spot Cookbook and would like one, uh, you have a one-off opportunity to grab a copy with 25% discount at the Magic Flow Bus event only. So um, you can do that, and if you can't make it to the event for whatever reason, but you'd still like it. The cookbook uh, you can order it via amazon or um, ibooks for a digital copy or you can drop me a message for a personal order and that's it another podcast done and um, have a lovely couple of weeks make sure you learn something new each day and remember to be grateful for the money you have however little it may be and more importantly stay healthy until next time Bye! As every week, your host is myself, Susanna from The Sweet Spot, music by Mark J. Adair, and artwork by Gemma O'Hagan. Thank you for listening.